Good afternoon. We're back with the Sean Mo Hoops podcast. Uh, we've been been in quarantine for a while, and after pumping out a few episodes with Josh Pastner, Coach Coach Rose from BYU, Coach Johnson from Loyola Marymount, took a little hiatus. Uh, but we are back with Michael Weisenberg, um, the NBA draft guru and regular guest on the podcast. Mikey, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Sean. Very excited to be back on the Sean Mo Hoops podcast. I really enjoyed the episodes that you did with uh, all of the coaches. And uh, yeah, man, just uh, excited to that you're back at the saddle. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a while, but I know I can always count on you to, uh, to revive the podcast. Um, it's been certainly interesting last last three months, but before we get into, you know, all the changes that have gone on, uh, one thing that you've been been able to do with your brother over the last month or so is create your own podcast, uh, Viseland. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious just to learn a little bit about that and kind of the ideas behind the creation of it. So my brother and I, for the longest time, have wanted to do a podcast. And we decided that it was just the perfect time to do it. He just had a son, but we wanted to, we, we talk so much anyway. We've been talking basketball all of our lives. We've had the chance to see all these great basketball events and performances. And we decided to just start up this podcast. We're kind of doing right now, just some list formats with uh, a few little fun things here and there, but we're hoping eventually to get guests on the show and to delve even further into it. And of course, once the season is active, get a little bit uh, more involved there. We're both Oregon alumnus. So we'll probably be like uh, almost an ins- almost inside Carolina level, except for university of Oregon. Uh, once the season there is uh, back and going, but yeah, we're, we just, uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we, our latest episode, we ranked the top 10 Canadian players in the NBA, which is kind of amazing considering that there used to not be 10 Canadian players in the NBA uh, at one time. So this uh, it has been a really fun experience. Thanks so much for bringing it up. It's the Viseland podcast with uh, Michael Weisenberg and Jason Weisenberg. And we are hoping eventually to have Sean Moran as a guest on our podcast. Well, I'll be uh, I'll be waiting waiting patiently. But um, one thing I did want to bring up and and brought it up to you, uh, I can't remember if it was the first or the second episode. But when you went through uh, the Eastern Conference and you went through every single team and did your starting starting five from from that team and had to wait to the very end to get to uh, the Washington Wizards. Uh, but with that, I think we had a little little disagreement on the starting guards you went with or i think both of you and your brother went with uh john wall and bradley beal so the well not the current starting backcourt but the uh hopeful backcourt for next season whenever that begins in december or january and i thought uh gilbert arenas should be a uh, no question first teamer on there so i'm curious uh your, your thoughts if you want to go back a few weeks to the wizards which i'm sure is not a a topic you spent a lot of time focused on, but um, since that's my NBA team, uh, I wanted to bring that one up with you. Yeah, and you you have a legitimate beef. I, I won't lie, Moran. 
have a very legitimate. <laughs> um, no, you know, you know what's kind of amazing is that uh, Bradley Beal actually has more career points with the Wizards than uh, Gilbert Arenas did. But I just found that I don't know. I, I guess I, I lean towards that in uh, Bradley Beal's favor. And if you're talking about peak, I, I you're absolutely correct. And I, it was something I probably could have researched a, a little bit more, and especially with you being as vocal and impassioned about the choice of Gilbert Arenas. I probably should have uh, run it by you as well. But um, you know what, Sean? I'm, I'm sticking with Bradley Beal. So, yeah, I, I think I, think I mean, I, more, I think I'm fine with there. Bradley Beal. I'm, I think I would have Beal and Gilbert. Yeah, Beal and Gilbert? Yeah. That I could see. That I could see. That would be a, a lot of shooting. That would be a lot of fun, too. Wow. I mean, watching I'm, I'm, watching Gilbert before he was uh, before his injury when Gerald Wallace fell into his knee was was always entertaining. Um, and yeah. unfortunately, a very talented career cut short, really after um, you know six seasons uh, yeah. because he, he played definitely for a while after, but was was never really the same. Never had that explosiveness, but. Really, those you know, his first year in Washington was was really strong. But I'd say the years two, um, you know, two thousand four through two thousand seven, yeah, um, you know, was uh, he, he was good. He was, he was really good. good. <laughs> he was one of the few guys shooting from all over the place before before Steph Curry. But oh yeah, you know, also like the, the high volume three pointers at like a really good clip. So much fun. God, man, like almost 30 points per game. Uh, his uh, third and fourth season with the Wizards at only like 24, 25 years old. So, yeah, the, I think your, your beef is legitimate and uh, you could have done a do over there. But, yeah, I, I, John Wall actually had more total career points with uh, the Wizards as well. And the assists for John Wall are, are, are something that are, are pretty impressive as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Gilbert at, at his peak, definitely better than both of them. So it was something that I, I probably could have put a, a little bit more thought into. And I'm glad that you kept me on my toes about that. And if anybody ever had legitimate beasts about my list, I'm all ears. <laughs> so yeah, appreciate it, Sean. I, the thing I most appreciate is you listening and having a, a passionate opinion about the list. So <laughs> yeah, just really cool to have a friend that's doing that. Well, I'm sure not many many people listening are focused on the Wizards, so um, have to do do my part. We need but more. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, definitely looking. You know, it, it's a pretty fun format and and definitely something different. So uh, looking forward to the future ones you're doing, and hopefully can uh, get on one of these sometime. But wanted, you know, it's, once again, it's been a while since we chatted, probably heading into what we thought was going to be March Madness. Um, and then a lot has changed, still a lot in the air, but it looks like basket, basketball started to return. Uh, they're playing a 10-team tournament in Germany, and they're going to start back up in Spain and, and Israel with, with lockdowns. And then the NBA is uh, most slight. I mean, it's most likely will be going to Orlando. I think there some of the players are having some issues right now with, with some of the, the setup, but most likely we'll be starting pretty soon. And then 
with that, uh, they've come out with some tentative dates. So an August 3rd deadline to uh, return back to school, August 25th of the NBA draft lottery, which I know is always fun in the middle of the playoffs. And then the NBA draft in October, October 15th. So normally, uh, I guess in the past two years, normally when the first games would be tipping off, you're going to have, have your lottery and then the season starting in you know, late December, maybe Christmas time. So a lot, a lot um, has changed. Um, but with that, you know, we're starting to see some, some normalcy. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on just kind of the, the new timeline? And do you think that will affect a lot of people in the draft or colleges? What are your general thoughts on what's going on right now? I'm kind of just glad to have it all, or at least something on the horizon, because for the longest time, you just kind of didn't know what was happening. You had some tentative dates and, and like an idea. Uh, but yeah, there, there were still people for the longest time saying, oh, the draft still might happen on like June 25th. And they, I just feel like that wasn't going to be the case until they officially called off the season. And e- even so, you would probably want more time so you could maybe do some of the workouts and some of the pre-draft stuff that, uh, you know, teams seem to weigh pretty heavily. Uh, It would have been interesting to see how everything went without that and, you know, just really relying on scouting and tape and everything there. But, yeah, I I don't know. I think I'm kind of happy with what what we're – at least is on the horizon uh, in Orlando – and, um, yeah, I, I think uh, the playoff format and, like, you know, the possible battle for the number eight seed in the West, it seems like, I'm sorry to say, the Wizards are, are probably out of it because you need to be within a certain amount of uh, games back. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I know they're trying really hard to get Zion into the playoffs. And uh, a Lakers-Pelicans matchup would be certainly interesting, but – I, I feel like Memphis could still possibly fight it off. And uh, yeah, they, uh, the West in particular, like has those three teams with uh, incredibly similar records right now at nine, uh, the trailblazers, the Pelicans and the Kings. As far as the draft process, I like, I'm, I'm hearing rumblings that they still might have some kind of combine. Um, and you just have a lot more time there. In terms of college landscape, I'm sure coaches are pulling their hair out with how late everything's going to be and so on and so forth. But uh, I think they're just kind of doing the best they can with what they had. And um, I, I, I'm excited for a conclusion to the season. I, I'm just hoping that everything health-wise is all right. And uh, otherwise, I, you know, you can't be too upset with what they came up with. Yeah, and I mean, even even between that one thing, uh, we haven't really talked about, but what came out was uh, the G League and kind of up, you know, the upheaval of college basketball with um, Jalen Green and a few other guys going not the college route, not the professional route over in Australia, like Lamelo Ball um, and RJ Hampton went last year, but now to the G League where they're being paid you know, 250000 to $500,000 to do kind of a training a training year where they'll basically be in a bubble um, and scrimmaging and, and working on their game under Brian Shaw. 
And I think, you know, now when you're looking at the high school guys, uh, because the G League, it seemed like they were going after, you know, any top 20 or 30 guy uh, to try to get interest, especially as this kicks off. And if their goals are making, you know, potential two, three, four, really a, a minor league system, you know, that'll start taking away the, the college talent. And you go back to, you know, it used to happen of, of you have a recruiting class and then all of a sudden you're waiting at the end of the year to see, you know, which of the guys are going to go straight to the NBA. And then all of a sudden your best player is, is gone. Uh, but once again, that's in its, in its early stages, but how do you see the new kind of G league ruling and team um, playing, playing in the college space and not playing in the college space, but playing against, um, you know, the college teams and college coaches recruiting. I'm really glad you brought that up because, yeah, that, that is something that we uh, probably should have talked about a, a long time ago. Um, this is – I just think the G League finally brought it, man. Like, it, I, to me, it just seems like before I, I always kind of wondered why they would be an option because, um, you know, the teams didn't have their rights. So in terms of development, like how uh, ingrained would they be? Like you, you have a few players who had been drafted out of the G League, but nobody who was like a top high school player or anything. So making this developmental program, having them – I know they're, they're only supposed to play like maybe like a dozen or so games. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure those games are going to be watched with a, a fine-tooth comb. They got – they have some really intriguing prospects as well. I, I think it's a legitimate option to say like, you know, with, with John Calipari and other people being like, Oh, you know, like this is the end of the world I, I, that I don't agree with. I, just like one and done. I, I feel like they're making too much of a deal about it. Um, when ultimately like one and done is usually like 15 players and the NCAA has, I believe like a division one, like 320 schools. So yeah, like it, it usually tends to affect like the blue bloods, but it to say like it affects the face of college basketball, I, I think is a little much. But I, I think eventually it could definitely take a, a few top talents from the NCAA. It did take a a couple, but I, I could have seen those guys possibly going to Australia or, or doing something like that. I, I know Isaiah Todd was committed to Michigan, but. There were always rumors that he was looking at pro option. Jalen Green, there were even rumors about him possibly either going to Australia or going to um, Italy instead of playing his senior year at uh, Prolific Prep. So I, I think those guys were all legitimately looking at other options. And then uh, you had Dacian Nix, who was committed to UCLA, um, goes to this option. So – yeah, I, I'm. I'm really interested. I, like, I guess it'll also depend on uh, where where these players are drafted, and I, I bet people are, are just kind of looking into it. But yeah, I'm already thinking there are, there are a few guys who will take that option, but they were likely looking at, at professional options even before this became a thing. Uh, but now at least they, there's a domestic option that is more developmental based, and I, I'm happy with that. Where, where are your thoughts? Um, my, my thoughts are all over the place. I think, um, as you said, the G league finally brought it and, and they did, I think they, you know, all the questions that you would, you would initially have about, you know, is the money 
high enough? Uh, you know, what if the team doesn't have the rights? What's their incentive to develop the player? Uh, you know, will they get eaten up going against older guys that are, you know, basically playing for their livelihood, et cetera, et cetera. And they kind of answered all that with the money. I mean, $500,000 is um, very significant, even if you're putting it against, you know, some of the money that is being provided under the table, which I'm still, you know, sure they're probably getting (laughs) from, from other sources as well, just maybe not as much, but now you have 500 K in Jalen Green's case. And, (laughs) you know, he was, you know, once again, he wasn't going to college. He was going to probably go overseas to Australia. So now, um, you know, I think the main thing was if they're not going to college, then why are they not with us in the U.S.? And I think that solves that problem. Um, I think they did a very smart thing of getting Jalen Green because he's extremely talented. I remember seeing him. Um, I guess it was the summer going into his junior year. And I remember at the time saying I thought he was the best player in high school at the time, um, just due to his athleticism and, and, you know, ability to play both, both guard spots. Um, now Kate Cunningham has kind of surpassed that. Um, but once again, Jalen Green is easily a top two, three player. So, you know, he's not going to really hurt his draft stock by doing this. So that'll just, you know, show well on the G league. Um, I think Isaiah Todd is interesting. He's a guy that you look at him and you're like, man, like this guy's going to be a stud. And then you watch him play. And, you know, he's one of those guys that looks great in warmups and then doesn't actually turn out at least in my opinion on the court. But once again, he does have some very NBA esque moves. And I think he probably would have had a, you know, an up and down season at Michigan and gotten exposed in some areas. And now here he goes, just being able to develop and, you know, not really get as tested like he would have. And then I think Nick's, um, you know, was kind of lukewarm on, on him initially. So I think that's more just a blow for UCLA who was, uh, you know, counting, likely counting on him to, to come there. But I think really it'll come in next year in the 2021 class when, you know, everybody knows about it now, so it's not going to be a surprise. They can spend their time really recruiting guys. Um, and once again, you're starting to see when in people's top five, it's four schools in the G League. So that's going to be, you know, a school that or not a school, but something that everybody has to deal with. And I think you'll start to see teams, you know, maybe shy away from some of those top five players that they think will just be shoe-ins uh, to the G League. So yeah. I think that'll be be pretty interesting and i know you're working with the company pro insight to do a lot of interviews with the high school guys and i think uh you know some of what you're seeing is is pretty interesting from that regard yeah absolutely it, it seems like it's at least in their conscience now uh we just talked with kennedy chandler who it seems like he, he seems to be leaning towards going to college but you know it seems like it's at least an option and something that they're thinking about. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga just, it was just announced that he was going to reclassify to 2020 and had graduated. Um, and there, he has, you know, the four schools that he chose, it was like Texas Tech, Kentucky uh, seem to be the leaders, but um, the G League looks like the, the really best bet right now as far as what he's looking at 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, if he goes and another guy I wanted to chat about was Cade Cunningham, who's, you know, right now at least the number one number one player. Um, you know, didn't didn't get to play in the, the all-star circuits and kind of prove that point, but had a great summer last year and a very strong year at uh, Montverde this year. And it's pretty much the number one player going into Oklahoma State. They just got put on probation for the year, so they can't play in the tournament. Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see if he – does he stay there? Does he start to look at the, the G League? Because, I mean, you know, they were – all of a sudden you have Cunningham, Green, and um, Kuminga. I mean, that's your top three right there almost. And now that's – you know, now those guys aren't going to get seen really by by anybody um, that doesn't really know them beforehand. but um then you look at somebody like anthony edwards this year that is going to be a number one two or three pick played at georgia they weren't making the tournament um had some notoriety back in in hawaii in november for his game uh, you know one of his great games that he had in the maui invitational but for the most part was you know played on a subpar team and a lot of those guys weren't going to make the tournament anyway so it's uh i think it'll be be interesting but what are your thoughts on Cade cunningham yeah, well, I, I think the reason Kate Cunningham is the big story right now is Oklahoma State has uh, a one-year postseason ban that got handed down due to uh, a former assistant coach, Lamont Evans, uh, violating conduct rules. And um, some players who never were involved with that situation are, are now facing the consequences of that. And uh, just so happens to... Uh, be brought down in the year where Oklahoma State has the number one player in high school basketball. Um, yeah, it, it looks like right now Cade is just kind of looking at his options. Um, I, I brought up today, I, I was just talking about this, and um, the, I, there's still an option of him possibly even staying with, with the postseason ban. Uh, you, you look at a number of players this year and their seasons were a little interesting. Like even like a player like Cole Anthony, who, you know, they weren't, I'm sorry to say, Sean, they weren't going to have a chance at the postseason. Um, but yeah. And, you know, you never know with Cade going to Oklahoma state, like, you know, if they would have been like this NCAA tournament team powerhouse or, or anything, but it, it seems like he's at least looking at his options and looking at the field. Uh, I know that some of the, his finalists have been brought up, and two of them that seem to be really in there at the end were Kentucky and North Carolina. Um, and then the, the G League could be a possible option as well. Have you heard anything about North Carolina? And do they have any open scholarships, or, or what would the situation be there? Um, I mean, I know they were they were pretty, you know, they were definitely in the running for him, but um, I, I think with Caleb Love and, and R.J. Davis coming in, especially, you know, Caleb Love having a top 10, 12 projection. Um, I, w- I would not not really uh, put anything on, on the Tar Heels entering the race, even if they could, although they were able to free, um, free a little bit up, even though they have a six-man class coming in. But uh, with Brandon Huffman and then Jeremiah Francis leaving the program, that that create a little yeah. bit of flexibility, but wouldn't uh, wouldn't count 
Carolina in for the, the Cade Cunningham, but we'll be interesting to see what, what does happen with him just because he, you know, whether right or wrong, usually um, the consensus is, is wrong most of the time, but right now, you know, everybody has him as the top guy and he certainly proved it last summer, but once again, a lot can happen between the summer and high school season and then obviously entering, entering college and, and playing a college season. So, um, but yeah, you know, he'll, he'll be a case to watch, um, but kind of staying on, on the NBA draft wanted to, once again, have all summer to dissect this. So don't need to, you know, go through a, a mock draft right now, but I definitely started talking about some of the guys we, we brought up during the, the season and, um, going to bring up one guy who actually had his season cut short. So by the time, you know, the draft rolls around, he will have not played in, in quite some time with his injury, but Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa state is a definitely a lottery pick. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing even, even number 10, uh, it's kind of looks to be somewhat of the consensus. We're talking to six, five point guard from Wisconsin that played at Iowa state two years, won the gold medal for the FIBA U 19s. And, you know, extremely efficient player uh, that also shot the ball well over 40% both years, despite kind of a little, uh, I'd say a, a little, not a hitch, but just a weird, weird kind of uh, uh, shot. So I know you're, I think you're a big fan, but what, what are your thoughts on Tyrese Halliburton? Oh, I'm a fan. Um, I, I don't know about big fan, but I, I at least think that he has some Serious utility as an NBA player. Um, I, I the big question is whether he's like a primary, you know, handler. And uh, some some people see him as like this, you know, big point guard prospect. Whereas I see him as more of a really good complementary piece. Uh, my concerns about him as a point guard prospect. You mentioned the shooting. He's more of a, a spot-up shooter than, like, a, a pull-up guy and not, like, really too much into creating his own offense. He's been super effective from three-point range in college, uh, making almost two three-pointers per game over his career at Iowa State at uh, near 43%, uh, shot 82% from the line, 77.5% for his career there. Um, even shot well from two-point range. But it, He's just really not very aggressive and, like, has an extremely low free throw rate. So, like, rarely, rarely got to the line. And if you use um, – there, there's actually a really good comparison tool right now started by this guy named Young Wizzy. And uh, I definitely suggest giving that a, a try. But just looking at that tool, when you compare Tyrese Halliburton to some of the other prospects, the low free throw rate really, really stands out. But he's a really smart player, a really good passer, um, has some good defensive instincts as well. The strength issue is part of it. And then he, he's not the most dynamic ball handler, not super bursty athlete, but a, a very smart player. And I, I think one of the uh, guys in this draft who, who teams are, are looking at like in that, you know, mid to late lottery range. What, when you're talking about that draft tool, what is kind of the low free throw rate? How does that project or how does that play, play into it? 
how, how does that project? Like it, he gets the line at like a record low. Like it just seems like he, he, his, it just seems like he has a really tough time getting to the basket yeah. by having such a low free throw rate. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, for me, it's more his lack of quickness um, that yeah. is concerning because I think sure he, he, you know, 10 to 15 is his draft slot in kind of a very weak draft. I mean, he has really good size. He's long. He he's shown he can knock down shots. Uh, I think it'll be interesting moving you know moving back a few feet if that's able to can continue. But once again, shot eighty two percent from the line on a small sample. Uh, good passer, smart. But in the NBA, um, you know, uh, obviously people that are not the quickest have done very well. But I think um, you know if you're getting a lottery pick and you're not the quickest that could eat quickly cause some problems. So I'm, I would say I'm kind of lukewarm on him. I think his draft slot is right. I just think in terms of how he contributes might not be up to what is expected. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I'm just, that, that's why I'm not like super high on, on Tyrese due to the lack of quickness, lack of strength. Uh but I, I still feel there, there's utility there, and he, he certainly knows how to play the game. Um, so, yeah, in a, a draft that kind of lacks, like, star upside, I, I think that probably helps his case as well. So going back to a thing from during the season, are you buying or selling Halliburton? In in terms of, like, <laughs> I, <am laughs> I, I'm not buying him as, like, a top-five pick. Um, but I, I, I would, if he's 10 to 15, I, I, I would buy him. I'm going to, I'm going to hold on him, but, um, (laughs) another guy who is, and you probably know this better than me, but, um, from Memphis, precious Achua, um, a freshman and definitely see him in, in the first round. I think where he is, is anywhere from, uh, low lottery to out of the lottery, but first rounder. Um, and here you have a guy, 6'9", 225, played at Memphis, did pretty well, not the most um, efficient of players, but uh, came on really strong at the end of the year. And I do think surprised some people with, with how he did perform. Uh, he's a little little older, but average, you know, 15, 15.8 points. And 10.8 rebounds, which is which is pretty insane. And he did, you know, not a whole lot of threes, but he hit 13 on the year. Um, I think going into the season, I was pretty high on him. And the reason for that, uh, you know, I got to watch him play in AAU a little bit in Under Armour. And, you know, he couldn't shoot a lick, but you had a guy who was really, <laughs> really athletic. And then... I saw him play, well, not even play. It was a practice before, I think it was the Ball is Life All-American game. And mm-hmm. I remember just watching the one-on-one drills and you see his size and just his, you know, how he moves at that at that height, which is impressive. But I remember seeing his shot and I think the form definitely needed work. But I remember thinking, you know, he's it's not totally broken. And I think, if somebody, if a smart team gets him and just works on it a little bit, I think he can improve 
pretty quickly because I think there's a lot to work with with how he already does shoot it. So, you know, I, I was kind of high on him at the beginning of the year. He had a pr- really good year, um, but I still think I, I'm still buying him in terms of not having reached his potential. Yeah, I, there are still workable things with him. I um, just kind of wonder where he'll play in the NBA. Like, I, I think how a team uses him is going to be very important. It seems like he did his best work at playing as a big man at Memphis and just using that size. Like, he measured with, um, I think, like a 9-1 or so standing reach, has seven foot two wingspan, had a really good like hoop summit and did some impressive things there. Um, just seems to have, he had almost like an irrational confidence. He showed some ball skills, but just never looked to pass the ball. Um, took some like absurd shots as well. And I, I think that's just been one of the issues with him is that he doesn't really know who he is yet. And it seems like if, he were to be best utilized in the NBA, it would be as like a small ball five where he could, you know, probably take advantage of his athleticism. And I think he, like, it seems like he at least might have the size to do it. One thing that just kind of plays at a disadvantage for him, just in terms of talking about his potential is that he's already going to be 21 before the draft and just finished his freshman year of college. Um, so yeah, I just, kind of wonder, you know, if his advanced age probably plays into how well he did against uh, past competition and certainly helped him uh, in his lone year at Memphis. Yeah, I uh, definitely can't, can't argue, argue with that. Um, you know, definitely a, a little, little bit older than the, than the standard, standard freshman, but, you know, a guy who, didn't even have an offensive rating over a hundred, which is is not a uh, definitely not a great sign, but one that I'm overlooking this time in terms of my my thoughts on him. Just with you know hoping that somebody can get him and just retool the shot a little bit because once again I mm-hmm. think he played better than what was expected of him, no matter his age. And I think there's still some room to grow, despite you know probably being filled out from a physical standpoint, but. Um, we'll definitely have more detailed reports and more discussions on the NBA draft going forward since now we do have a ton of time um, to kind of dissect that and, and go through that. But um, looking looking ahead to either the college season or even the 2021 draft, or I guess, no, I guess, you know, 2022, um, wanted to throw out a few high school prospects to you. Um, so the first one wanted to throw out is Hunter Salas. And this is a guy I have not seen in person yet. So I have to withhold a little bit of judgment, but just watching him, watching his tapes, um, from playing in high school in Nebraska to, uh, playing in, in AAU last year. And I I'd say he's probably a guy that if he had been able to play in the spring, uh, would have seen a lot of buzz generated. Um, I think, you know, he's listed at 6'3", self-reported at 6'5", with a 6'10 wingspan. And I think he has that athleticism that not a lot of people have. So he has that going for him. And his ability to get to the basket uh, is is very strong at, at this age. I think definitely needs some improvement shooting-wise and 
a little bit ball handling, but I think he would have been a guy who definitely would have seen his stock rise. And I think from a NBA standpoint, definitely has a higher ceiling than a lot of the other guys currently ranked above him. So was curious if you had kind of watched much of him or, or had any thoughts on, on Salas. Yeah, I still need to watch a little bit more for sure. Um, but I did actually get the chance to see him at USA Basketball uh, in October. And he was definitely very intriguing. The speed definitely stood out. Um, and he uh, was one of the more intriguing point guards in a 2021 class that isn't necessarily chock full of them. Um, unfortunately, Kenny Chandler was hurt on the first day as well. So it was kind of like Salas, Christian Lander, um, honestly, don't really remember too many of the other guys, but yeah, the fact that Salas even stood out and was in my conscience, and I remember, you know, seeing him and liking the the fact that he uh, could get into the paint in certain situations. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he he would be a guy that would be standing out very much right now uh, if they were playing AAU basketball this spring. And he, yeah, he's actually a guy. I mean, I guess I I did watch some of the younger guys in that second gym back in October, um, but was very much focused on the class of 2020. So, um, you know, I, I don't even remember watching him if I if I did, which which I hate to say, but that's what happens when there's 80 or yep. so guys and you're trying to watch two different courts. And was definitely focused on Dayron Sharp and Caleb Love and some others. But um, you know, we'll see if. The USA basketball event does happen in October, depending on travel and who's allowed in. But, you know, without mm-hmm. having the the spring and summer season would definitely be good to watch some of these guys compete against each other. Uh, but a guy who has competed against pretty much everybody over the years and is up in your neck of the woods, but Paolo Banchero, um, kind of a top, what do you say, top five current currently ranked player in the class of 2021? I'd say top three, but um, yeah, at least in that range. So he's a guy you like, you've done, you you did a long profile on Pro Insights. Um, There's an interview, and then I think you did more of the the scouting report. So what are your thoughts on on Paolo? I just think that he has rare IQ for the game. Um, I I know he's grown to 6'10", Plus, he doesn't have the longest arms, but he has great hands, plays really smart post-defense, and is, like, just crazy frame and strength uh, for his age. Um, Has a really soft touch also. Um, The passing absolutely stands out with him, too. Uh, His EYBL numbers last year were just eye-popping, and I, I think they were the best of... Uh, the class of 2021 players that played in the EYBL. Uh, he played for Seattle Rotary. He was just so good in so many different situations with them. Uh, working on extending his shot. And, um, yeah, he uh, even had a chance to play against Team USA last year uh, with the Portland Generals. Didn't necessarily, like, stand out too much as far as getting his own offense in that game but showed that he could play some good post defense and the passing really stands out with him. Like he just has a great um, idea of where everybody is on the floor, uh, can make passes from the high post, 
and um, really advanced big man prospect. He he may not be the best prospect in 2021, but I, I think he's absolutely one of the best. What are your thoughts on his defensive ability? I think I think at least post wise, he's really smart there. And I I remember um, in 2018 he was he matched up against Isaiah Stewart. And I know Isaiah Stewart's been dissected as an NBA prospect, and people aren't necessarily high on him. But one thing you can absolutely say about Isaiah Stewart is he's really, really strong. And Paulo did not back down at all. Played fantastic defense with him, uh, against him. Uh, I felt got the better of him in their matchup. And, um, yeah, I, I think he certainly has quite a bit of potential on that end of the floor just in terms of positioning and, uh, you know, instincts on that end. No, that's, that's, that's interesting. I think for me, you know, I, I always, for him, once again, it was a, wasn't even EYBL. It was uh, the Pangos All-American camp. And there's a lot of good talent there, a lot of good competition, but sometimes the guys uh, don't play the hardest on the defensive end. And mm-hmm. I think he was, he was one of them that always seemed a step slow and a step disinterested on, on yeah. that end. Um, but once again, that was, you know, wasn't as competitive as a EYBL or what could be a, a college or, or G League game, but obviously with his size and shooting ability has a lot of just natural, natural talent. Uh, but that was yeah. just kind of something that always uh, sticks in my mind when, when thinking of him, but that was just kind of a, once again, a, seeing it live and, and kind of ingraining something, something in your head. But I think a guy who has a lot of, a lot of potential and has already, as you said, top three, top three player. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, once again, where he, he's already cut his school list down, but where he, where he ends up uh, going, if not the G league. Um, so I think definitely a guy that you'll most likely be watching depending on, you know, what happened, what happens with the, the actual live seasons, which hopefully will yeah, you know, we're we're hoping will be uh, going like normal, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, but with that, just kind of you know, once again, wanted just, to just get back in the swing of things. Uh, unless yeah. there's kind of anything else to you yeah, you a, have one, on, one on your mind. Additional uh, thing with with Paulo, his post defense, I feel, is well ahead of everything else, and I, I just wonder how much post defense they have a chance to play at the Pangos all American camp. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, the answer to that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think Dayron Sharp was the only guy who was trying to uh, play in the post and uh, he was barely, barely throwing the ball inside and in, in a lot of those games. But I remember when he finally did touch the ball, um, he unleashed havoc on, on a few people a few times in a row. Uh, down down in the paint but I don't think it was against Palo so not you know mostly a very guard guard oriented um, weekend that one for sure a lot of fun and then you get to see them and you know uh, really kind of a freestyle uh, atmosphere which is a fun evaluation yeah definitely but um, with that just wanted to wrap up the Shama Hoops pod for the first one in June and thank you for for coming on and hopefully getting back into the, the swing of things after another another hiatus. But uh, always good to talk hoops. And once again, now that 
you're doing your own podcast. Uh, hope everybody checks out Viseland on either um, whatever you listen to podcasts on or YouTube, um, which is the, how I watch the, the the ones I've seen and got to uh, critique the wizard selections. But I think overall, I uh, can't really I uh, can't really complain. But um, yeah, so going going forward, take a listen to that, and looking forward to seeing some of the new stuff you do with your brother. Thanks so much, Sean. As always, really excited to be back on Sean Mohoop's pod. And yeah, let's do this again, man. Let's uh, any any time, man. <laughs> you know, we're I think we're both looking for things to do in this uh, new quarantine world, at least for the time being. And uh, we have the NBA season right around the corner, so we'll we'll have quite a bit to talk about. Summertime hoops. That'll be uh, that'll be interesting. Besides summer league, so. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, and thanks again for coming on.